I am something of a product of my influences, to say the least. I went to school, as you may have uh, figured out from the introduction, not for preaching, at least not at first. My undergrad was in music. I thought I was going to be a high school band director. That's what I set my sights on. Uh, I decided going into college that I was going to get my four-year degree in music education from Fried Hardeman. I was going to move to Nashville. I wanted to live in that area. I was born in Nashville. I love Middle Tennessee especially. Uh, and that I wasn't going to get married before I graduated with my undergrad degree. I decided all three of those things before I went to college. None of them came, came true, and I'm better for it. Kelsey and I got married before senior year of college, and you want to talk about a stressful experience, that's one for you. But it was well worth it. But as far as going into preaching, uh, that was really at the behest of many other people who were encouraging to me, none more so than one of my elders and one of my uh, preachers at the Fanger Church of Christ in Fanger, Tennessee, Stan Mitchell. He was a professor at Freed Hardman University and also, like I said, an elder and a preacher at Fanger. And after about our first semester at Freed Hardman, Kelsey and I started dating and we placed our membership at the congregation. And seemingly from that point on, he made it his mission to get involved with us, to to spend time with us, to mentor us, and ultimately encourage me to become a preacher. And ultimately that's what happened. I ran out of excuses to give him over coffee and things like that, and he ultimately became probably the single most driving force, at least externally, as to why I became a preacher. Not only that, but he took time out of his day even after I had accepted the job. He, he took me to coffee once a week, which that's a way to win my heart real fast. He, he, he would spend time with me talking shop. He would spend ta- time with me talking anything but shop. He would spend time in my life encouraging me and encouraging my wife as well. Why do I lay all that out? Why bother with a story like that? This concept of building bridges between generations, because someone took it seriously, made a point of taking it seriously and practicing it in their own life, in his own life, it's had a direct, long-term, positive impact on my life. And as a result, an indirect, hopefully long-term, hopefully positive impact on the lives of those I've had the pleasure of serving in ministry over the past decade plus. This is something that's very near and dear to my heart. And so this evening, as we take a look at this, uh, just know this discussion for me is not academic. It's something that's had a great impact on my life, and I think if you're honest, it would have a great impact on your life as well. I know in, in the lives of many ministers, they don't, we don't come to this career, if you want to say that, this profession, however you want to describe it, just suddenly out of the blue, waking up one day saying, I want to be a preacher. Oftentimes it's as a result of people encouraging us. And that's true of ministry in the broader sense, too, just working within the church, that we take on new roles because of the encouragement we receive. So this evening, we're going to look at three different things. We'll make them alliterative if that's helpful, Uh, but three different things to maybe understand how we might be able to build these bridges between generations. And the first thing I want to look at is the example that we set for one another, the examples that we set for one another. Let's read Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. 
Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Text here reads, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. There's a couple of different things we're going to harp on in this passage. We're going to save one of them for later on. But the thing I want you to notice right now is this phrase here uh, in verse 7. Show yourselves in all respects to be a model of good works. That oftentimes we talk about what it means to, uh, to follow God, what it means in our Christian walk, what it means to live a particular way without ever seeing it in action. Or at least not thinking about how it should be put into action. I got a heavy dose of this during the pandemic. I don't know how y'all handle things here at Choctaw. When I was at Bridge Creek, we had about five or six weeks where we didn't meet in the building at all. That I live streamed from the building by myself. I went back to the crow. Wait, we didn't have a crow's nest. It was just a computer in a corner. But I went back to the crow's nest, set up the live stream, walked back up, and I ran the service. I led the songs. I did the announcements. People are getting COVID. Please pray for them. That was a lot of that during that time period. But I ran the the service, basically, for everyone to try at least as much, much as they could participate in. And there's a picture floating around on Facebook of my boys participating in that service. They would have been, I guess, three and two at that point in time. You see, my father-in-law had constructed two little pulpits like this, but maybe about a quarter of the size for them. And so when I got up there to lead singing, guess what they did with their pulpits? They set it right next to the TV and they started leading singing along with me. Which on the one hand, man, that just warms your heart, doesn't it? And on the other hand, oh, that's terrifying. No one told them to do that. They did that because daddy was doing it. They did that because they saw someone, and they wouldn't put it in these terms exactly, but they saw someone they respect doing it. And it had an influence on them. That's exactly what we're talking about here. Mind you, here in Titus chapter 2, it's mostly moral discussions. There's a few other things talked about. But you'll notice very first, at the very start, in chapter 2 and verse 1, it says, Teach what accords with sound doctrine old, older men are. Right? Not just teach, they are to be something. And later on we see, understand this as modeling good works. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound of faith, in love, and in steadfastness. We're going to talk about how this interacts with younger men in just a few moments. But notice that the impetus at first is on setting the proper example. That if you want to start to bridge that gap, and certainly bridge that gap towards something constructive faithfulness in Christ, it starts by showing others perhaps outside of your peer group, perhaps outside of those who you would spend a regular amount of time around just sort of naturally, if we might say it that way, showing them how to live. I look at this practically from my own life. I look at other preachers uh, who, who get together or, or, or who have done this for a long period of time. I'm going to be at a preacher's meeting tomorrow in Paul's Valley, and my hope is that I'm the youngest, dumbest person in the room when I go to that meeting. Because there are other preachers who have been doing this for a long time that I can learn from. Kelsey and myself are, are 
keen to look at people, look at couples who've been married 40, 50, 60 years in a culture that seems to emphasize marriage less and less. That those are the people we want to model our marriage after. That those are the preachers we want to model our ministry after. We look at parenting this way. We look at, uh, we look at all, well, all sorts of different things you can think of this way. That whether or not you realize it, you are setting an example for the people who just left this room. You're setting an example for what it means to be a Christian. Yes, they're going to learn from this, and they should learn from this. But they're going to learn from you regardless. That the example that you set makes a difference. Now, it doesn't build the bridge by itself. We'll get to that in just a moment. But it makes a difference. Now, to be clear, it's not just the older setting example for the younger. Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12 is told to let no one look down on his youth, but to set an example in his behavior there. But there's an emphasis here that we have to be sure that we're modeling the right behavior because people are going to pay attention whether we are or not. They're going to learn something from our example whether we are or not. And those children who are growing up, those young adults who are transitioning into adulthood, if you will, those who are going through different stages of their lives are going to look at some of you who have already gone through those things, how you have handled those things, how you have handled tragedy, how you have handled joy in your life, how you have handled stress. They're going to look at your examples and learn from them. And so we need to be sure we're modeling those good works that are talked about here. Secondly, it's not enough to just exemplify. We also have to engage. Um, This is being recorded, so she'll see this regardless, but at least do me the decency of not recounting this story uh, to my wife anytime soon, please, because it's quite embarrassing for me. She knows about it. But she occasionally, it's one of those things she occasionally forgets and then she's reminded and then I hear about it constantly for about a week. Right. So you, you heard in the bio, um, my wife's name used to be Kelsey Hackworth. Um, her family had been members at Central and more for two plus decades now. Um, used to be Kelsey Hackworth. We dated for about two years before we got married. For the first two months of those two years, I did not know what her last name was. Let me rephrase that. I was on her Facebook page. She was not listed as Kelsey Hackworth. She was listed as Kelsey Nicole. And so I legitimately thought from the time we started dating up until just before winter break that year, her name was Kelsey Nicole. And I addressed her as such at one point. Two months after we started dating, and she blessedly very gently corrected me there. Uh, as a side note, if you can survive getting your girlfriend's name wrong for a long period of time, you might make it. You might make it. My fear is that we engage other cultures, other cultures, other generations like this. That we learn about them from other sources. That my knowledge of the generation beneath me or the generation above me isn't from going and spending time with them. It's not from going and helping them out. It's not from training the younger generation. It's not from looking up to the older generation. It might be, if I'm not careful, from Facebook. Or pick another social media site. Or pick your favorite cable news network. Whatever it might be. 
that we learn about them without ever going to them. We want to try and train them. We want to try and help them. No one's going to get uh, raise their hand and say, actually, I don't want... You know, the young, the younger people to grow. Younger people, that's a weird phrase for me to say. I, I don't want the youth to grow. I don't want them to get more involved. Of course we do. We all do. But we try and do these things without ever approaching them if we're not careful. Let me suggest to you right now that if, if your primary source of learning about people who are not a part of your generation is on social media or some other form of media, you're not learning about the people here. You're not learning about the youth you actually have contact with. You're not learning about your elders who you actually have contact with, the people who actually matter in your life. Now, you may learn some general things about the culture from social media and news, although I I would even hesitate against that to a point. But if we're not actively engaging those around us, we're not learning anything about them, and we're certainly not building up any sort of relationship with them. I want you to notice what's said here in particular. We're still in Titus chapter 2. Notice, we're going to pick up in verse 3, and we're going to read just a little bit here. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Now, what's clear from the text here is that the, the younger generation, however we want to phrase it, I've already done it poorly once, we'll try to avoid that again, but the younger generation are to learn from the older generation by and large. That there's a general principle that's set here. It's not set in stone. Again, Timothy's called to set an example for those who are older than him. But there is a general principle here, principle, principle here that's meant to be put into practice. But notice who the impetus is on. Notice for a moment who the impetus is on. It does not say, younger women, go out and find yourselves a mentor. Go out and be trained. And it does not say younger men go out and be urged to do these things or to be these things. The impetus is on the older generation to take the initiative and actually do the training and urging. And actually do the training and urging. Now here it seems to be talking about moral behavior, ethical behavior, and a few other specific things. But there is a general principle here. Now, I'm not going to identify which side of this you fall on except to say that it's relative. Right? It's relative. You, you can fall on both sides of this discussion for certain things. And certainly as it pertains to how you approach other brothers, brothers and sisters in Christ. But it's on you as the older generation to reach down to those who are younger. You know, I, I think about my own children a lot. And I've already talked about them a little bit. They're starting school tomorrow, two of them are. One will be in first grade, one will be in kindergarten. That's terrifying for me. But I think about their future a lot, especially with it being the start of the school year. But I think about their future a lot, what they could be, who they could develop into, what they're going to be like, maybe what their ministry is going to look like. I think about Shiloh, my six-year-old. He's a lot taller than the average six-year-old. He's kind of a goofy kid. I mean that in the most loving way possible. He, he's, he's just so full of life. He, he just loves everyone. Um, he loves singing. He loves 
to lead singing. We give our kids an opportunity every Wednesday night to lead a song. And man, he just, he looks forward to it so much. I, I, I think about Shepherd. Shepherd is the type of kid, he's my five-year-old, he's the type of kid where if you start a conversation with him, you're going to have to finish it because he won't. He's just going to keep talking and keep talking and keep talking. Right? He's the type of kid when we go do the uh, we go do Bible story every night with the kids in their room. Um, he's the type of kid. Occasionally, some nights we just go, Shepherd, you tell the Bible story tonight, and he'll do it mostly right. Right? Uh, no, David didn't kill Goliath with a lightsaber, but the rest of it was right. Right? Wonder if he could be a preacher one day. I'm not going to force him into that. I'm not going to coerce him into that. But I hope he considers it at least. Certainly, I hope he learns how to preach, even if he doesn't become a preacher by trade, if you will. I think about Lydia, uh, sweet as a button. As long as mommy's not in the room, I, I, I get all the attention when mommy's in the room. Forget about it. Sweet as a button, just loves on everyone. Reminds me of some of the ladies who teach her crater roll class. How sweet and warm and gentle they are to her. We had VBS a few weeks ago. She, she started to develop symptoms of some sort of illness in the middle of VBS when the ladies just took her and rocked with her for about an hour. Maybe she'll become a teacher like that one day, too. Let me tell you, none of that's going to happen unless someone shows them how. They won't develop unless someone shows them how to do those things. And it's on those of us who already know how to do some of that to reach out to those who are learning, to those who are growing, to those who are younger, perhaps those who we might describe as being a bit more immature, to reach out to them and help them grow. It's not on them to come and find us. It's on us to go and get them. I want you to recognize that through this, uh, many people at many congregations that I've spoken at, ministered to, have various different contexts, many different people have expressed their concern over the future of the church. And Oh, you know, we're one generation away from apostasy, 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 some will say. You know, I, I just, the, you know, they, they just don't seem to be with it like they used to or something like that, right? Some fairly negative language. Let me suggest to you this evening that as long as you're around, as long as you're alive, as long as you're, uh, as long as you care like that about the future of the church, recognize you can do something about it right now. That you can make a difference right now in building those bridges. To be sure that when the church does transition from your generation, whatever it is, my generation, however you want to describe it, to the next generation, whatever that's going to look like, you can ensure that it's going to happen as smoothly as possible. You can make a difference right now. And it doesn't have to be some grand gesture. It can be just simply starting to get to know someone younger than you and showing them that you care, that you're invested in them. Getting to know even some of those kids. Again, nothing grand. Uh, if I can make a couple of practical suggestions. Um, at Paul's Valley, we have a congregation of, or congregation of about 120. Um, we've got a decent-sized youth group. We've also got a decent-sized like Shiloh's age generation, that sort of early elementary group. But many of our, uh, many of our high school kids are involved in sports. So I've got all the calendars for all their different sports that they play, and I'm, I'm going to go to a few of their games this year. 
Do you know what kind of difference that makes in their lives when you show up? You know how encouraging that is? We're going to get to encourage. That's the last E, encourage or edify. You can go ahead and write it down if you are. But do you know what kind of difference that makes? Just by showing up? Just by making a point of being there? And you might go, well, but that's not my kid. That's not my grandkid. That's true, but they are your family, aren't they? Be there for them. Be there for them. Um, Practical suggestion, maybe you find yourself on the younger side of this. Right? And you don't know how to connect with someone in the older generation, don't know how to engage them. Um, same brother, Stan, mentioned this to a group of us college students. Once said, just ask someone older than you about their grandkids. You won't have to talk the rest of the time. Some of the grandparents laughed. It's not hard. It just takes intentionality. It's not this massively daunting task. It's just deciding that you're going to do what you can to bridge that gap. I'm out of touch. Okay, let me get in touch. I don't know what this group, whatever this group is, is like these days. Let me talk to them. I'm worried about the future of the church. Let me show them what faithfulness in this world looks like. Let me help them. Let me show them how to carry out various ministries. We're not talking in Titus chapter 2 about something that some older women can do, can do or some older men can do and others are just relegated to the sidelines. There's no qualifier on older women or older men other than older women and older men. It's something that's expected of all of us who identify that way. Set an example, engage, and then as I've already said earlier, encourage or edify. Let's go over to Ephesians chapter 4. This will be where we close. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to pick up in verse 11 in just a moment. It's Jesus. And on the way out, if you will, or on the way up, I guess is a better way of saying it, he distributes various gifts. He gives out these various gifts. And in verse 11, we have those listed And then we have the why after. And the why matters quite a bit here. Look at verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we attain to the unity of the faith, excuse me, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now, he gave these individuals, and really he's saying he gave these roles specifically. He didn't necessarily predestine everyone for these particular roles. But he gave these roles uh, within the church, some of which we have today, some of which we don't, for a particular purpose in verse 12. And notice what it says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now, you'll notice there's not a qualifier there. It doesn't say the teaching saints. It doesn't say the older saints. It doesn't say the younger saints. It just simply says saints. And so I'm forced to conclude 
that each and every single Christian is meant to be a part of this. That there are no exceptions. Work of ministry, you may have service here. I like service a little bit better as a translation. Ministry is fine. We just often associate it with what I'm doing right now, right? Preaching. That's not what's mentioned here. What's talked about here is simply the work of the church. And the purpose is right after, but the work of the church, service. And that's going to take many different forms, right? Uh, all the different things that y'all, the different events y'all had announced, you might be able to classify those as ministries. At Fanger, we had two elderly ladies, both of whom have since passed on to their reward. Their entire ministry was, if you miss service, they were going to send you a card, Right? It doesn't matter that everyone knew where you were. It doesn't matter that you were visiting family and and you weren't a threat of being sick or stopping attending services. You were getting a card because that was their ministry. And you know what? We loved it. Made a difference. But every saint is meant to be a part of this. Every single saint. And then notice the four, the why here. Middle of verse 12, for building up the body of Christ. Your translation may here say edifying. My kids, uh, they're almost at the age where they're starting to get into Legos, right? Almost at the age. You've got to develop a little bit more fine motor skills to really enjoy it. They like those magnet tiles. I don't know if you're familiar with those different shapes with magnets on the edges of them. Part of that is I'm married to a now a second grade teacher, and so we have all those types of toys. And they love building things. Shepard in particular loves building things, and he'll spend... Uh, he'll spend tens of minutes, if we can say that, building some great structure. The problem is he has an 18-month-old younger sister. An 18-month-old younger sister who can take that thing out in about five seconds. Anyone can destroy. You can do it accidentally. But encouragement takes thoughtfulness. An effort. Encouragement in certain contexts might take skill. But what's more important is thoughtfulness and effort. I want to encourage those around me. I want to build them up. reason I'm bringing this up within the context of bridging this gap between generations is not only do we oftentimes not do this with people outside of our own generation, we unintentionally discourage those who are outside of our generation. Well, that thing that they're interested in, that thing that they participate in, well, it's not like what we had uh, what we had back then. Right? It's different. And so we'll post some sort of meme about it on Facebook and you know, we'll say, "Ah, it's better and good old music was better back then, right?" By the way, I'm kind of on that train. I like the music of the 80s and 90s better than now, but even calling the 80s and 90s back then is offensive to some of you. But all of a sudden we post something like that about something, it's not sinful, it's not wrong, it's just not our thing, and so we make fun of it. Whereas someone else or a group of people in a different generation take it seriously, it's a core part of who they are. And so we're not just dismissing the thing that they like, we're really dismissing them. That's how it sounds to them. It's discouraging. Oh, we don't like those songs. They're camp songs. Well, they mean a lot to them. Oh, we don't like those songs. They sound old. Well, that's what they grew up with. 
that building up the body of Christ is meant to be this encouraging, edifying exercise. That it's not something that I get to sit here and say, well, I get to be, you know, I can just criticize everything I don't like and, and we're still accomplishing this. Oh, that's why Paul even stresses you're going to speak the truth in love. The fact that he mentions in love suggests that I can speak the truth in some other context without love. Verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You get to stop doing this when you're as mature as Christ is. That's when you get to stop. So not in this life, right? That as we interact with one another, this is something we're all meant to be a part of. We're all meant to try and build up the church. Are there going to be setbacks? Sure. Are people going to make decisions that are, uh, that are wrong, that are sinful? Yes. Are we going to accidentally say things that are hurtful at times? Yes. The goal is we learn from it rather than just sort of dig in and, and stay there. That we grow. And this is something that if we're not careful, it just sort of gets uh, pushed to the wayside between generations. I mentioned before earlier about showing up to a ball game or something like that. It will make a huge difference. I know that because when my kids played soccer and some random members of the congregation at Bridge Creek showed up in Blanchard for a soccer game, it meant the world to them. Shiloh in particular seems to remember every single thing that every single person in his life has done for him. He certainly remembers every single baptism he's ever witnessed, which is impressive because he was two when some of them happened, but he still talks about them. And so when someone takes the time out of their day, takes some effort to encourage you, you, you notice. I don't really have to explain this to you any more than that because you know it to be true in your own lives. You can remember the people who were there for you when they didn't have to be. The people who showed up to the thing that they didn't understand, it's, it wasn't about being at that thing, it was about being there for you. Makes a difference. And it makes a difference how you phrase it, too, how you go about doing it. Y'all are going to have, I think John said, y'all are going to have some of your uh, your younger men give up and deliver lessons at the end of the month. Is that right? August 27th. Right. right. Those of us who have been preaching for a while are used to the, I, I don't know if y'all still do this. I go back and I stand right in the, the center aisle when people walk out and people shake my hand, and, and that, that, that's nice, and I, I enjoy that, and I do appreciate the encouragement that comes along with that oftentimes. I do have a couple of members who will let me know how they really felt about the sermon, and I'm better for it. When those young guys get up there to preach, what you tell them afterwards is going to make such a huge difference. They're going to remember that. And they're going to remember when two weeks later you take the time to say, hey, you did a really good job. And they're going to remember months or years down the line when you say, you know, that was a good foundation. Why why don't we build on that? Why don't we keep doing this? I think you should keep doing this. When you see people teach, when you see, we had a teenager teach one of our VBS classes this year. We needed someone, right? We, we We were one teacher short. We made a public announcement about it. I think she's 15, stepped out, taught a class. You best believe I told her we directed the VBS. You best believe I told her repeatedly how grateful we were she decided to do that. And how I hopes, how I hopes, how I hope she does it again next year. Things like that. Meanwhile, if we're not careful, one sideways word can undo all of that 
building, undo all of that progress. So be encouraging, be edifying, build people up, build people who don't understand the things you've been through up, build people who are not a part of your peer group up. It makes a difference. I mentioned Stan at the beginning. Stan's older than my my parents. Right? I, I, this is someone who was not particularly in touch with the culture. He thought it was still cool to say groovy. It is just not to certain people, I guess. In spring of 2019, Stan had a heart attack. Had a cardiac event uh, at the on the sidewalk in front of the library at Fried Hardeman. Hit his head. He died shortly thereafter. Probably the single most, basically a down and back trip, down on a Friday night at the funeral and back on a Saturday in Henderson, Tennessee. Several hundred people showed up at the funeral. It's a huge blessing. Singing was also fantastic. I'm only bringing that up because Stan really, really loved to sing. And there are certain funerals where the singing is just so hopeful. You can just feel it, and this was one of those. What became immediately apparent, something I already kind of knew, but I found out at the funeral with absolute certainty, is the encouragement that he showed me as a preacher and as a Christian was by no means exclusive to me. That Stan went out of his way to pick out people that he was going to mentor. Many of us became preachers. Many of us are still preaching. In fact, that internship position that I had while I was at Fanger, and Stan was an elder there for a while, he he would end up working one other pulpit work before he passed. Every single one of us who had that job at Fanger are still in full-time ministry. I hope every single one of us are being fruitful. But it became clear that this rather introverted person, if you were to really try and nail him down on it, made a point because he was so worried about the future of the church of reaching out to the people he perceived to be the future of the church to try and make a difference. That as grateful as I am for his instruction and his encouragement, I'm also grateful it wasn't for just me. And I want to suggest to you this evening as we close, you can be that for other people. That yes, you you might not be teaching people how to become pit ministers. But whatever your ministry is, you can help train others. And certainly, regardless of what your specific ministry is, regardless of what your specific work is, and if you're worried, well, I don't have a specific work, that's another problem. I would talk to the elders about that. They'll find you something to do. But you can still encourage people to remain faithful. You can still encourage men to lead their families like they should and Ladies to live like they should within the context of that family. The things we read about in Titus chapter 2 about being self-controlled, about uh, all the different things that are mentioned there are things that the world seemingly looks down on more and more as the years go by. 
and the behavior that you model and the intentionality with which you reach out to instruct those who aren't in your peer group or who aren't in your generation can make a huge difference for the long-term future of the church. Let me challenge you as we close. Consider how you might do that this week. There might be someone in this room. There might be multiple people in this room. There might be people not in the room, right? Consider how you might make an impact in their lives. By doing so, you're going to build that bridge. By doing so, you're going to make a difference in the future of the church simply by getting involved in the life of someone else. Let's bow together as we close. Our Heavenly Father, we're thankful. Thankful you care for us. Thankful you watch over us. Thankful, Lord, that you've blessed us with godly men and women in our lives to show us what faithfulness to you looks like. Show us what putting our trust in you looks like. And we pray, Lord, that you'll bless us, that we might be able to be that for other people. That we might be able to better understand those around us and in so doing, better understand how to lead them to you. Lord, we love you and we know you love us. We ask that you'll forgive us if our lives haven't reflected that love. And we ask that you'll make us more like your son, Jesus. It's through his name we pray. Amen.